Welcome back to another Friday edition of Always Be Thinking, a podcast designed to make you think. As you know, the Friday edition is the reading edition when we talk about three different books that I've read over the last week and a theme that relates them all together. This week, we've got a special bonus theme. See if you can determine what it is as we talk about the books from this past week. To be honest with you, this week, uh, I started out the week anticipating three different books I was going to be reading. I had them queued up, ready to go. Um, But Monday took an unexpected turn with an announcement from Microsoft about the GitHub acquisition. In case you missed it, Microsoft acquired GitHub, the open source um, code repository, for seven and a half billion dollars. I talked about it earlier in the week, so I won't rehash it now. Go back and listen if you're interested. Um, But due to that interesting news on Monday, uh, I took a slightly different look at the books that I read uh, and chose a couple of different ones instead. Surprisingly enough, I was still able to find a common theme among the three books that I read this week. Uh, This week's theme I'm calling Knowing What Matters. And so we'll jump right in with the first book. The first book that I read uh, came about because of a typical uh, rabbit trail down the uh, infinite depths of Google News. I was looking at articles about the Microsoft acquisition, uh, which inevitably led to the uh, Bill Gates news headlines, uh, which brought me directly back to an announcement that he had made this week about this particular book, Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Uh, It was actually on a bestseller list a couple weeks ago, and I had it on my bookshelf virtual bookshelf, of course, that I was going to be reading, but I hadn't yet gotten to it. So when the announcement came from Bill Gates that he was going to be paying for a copy of this book for any graduating student that might be interested, I decided it was time that I pick it up and read it. I'm glad I did, because it's a fascinating book. You see, the concept behind factfulness is that As a society, we've somehow become entrenched in our thinking about the world, uh, our worldview, and that worldview is very negative. Everything is down and depressing, and uh, we're seeing worst-case scenarios across all different aspects of life. And yet this book and the researchers behind it, Hans and his team, uh, demonstrate through a overwhelming abundance of charts and data that this actually is not the case. And so there's a couple of points that I'll pull out of the book and share with you really quickly. First, things are better than they seem. Uh, As I mentioned, he uses charts and, and graphs and data to plot the severity in which our perception is skewed. And the worst part about it, well, actually, Let me hold on that one. I'm going to tell you the worst part about it in a second. Needless to say that we're maintaining a negative view that isn't in line with the data uh, of the world that we're living in in today's time. Instead, we're holding on to some sort of static view of how things are in the world 
from about 50 to 60 years ago. And not only are we maintaining that same view, but we're passing that view on. And I say we, but it's technically the generation before me that has passed that view on to the current generation. And we don't even have any concept of those ideas of when they were actual. We just take them as fact when they're actually not. And so the second point that he brings out is that the measurements do matter, but they matter most in perspective. So the author is very quick to say that throughout the book that he's not suggesting the world is, is perfect and that everything is great and there's no problems and there's no uh, natural disasters or calamities. Uh, what he's suggesting instead is that uh, we appreciate the negative as well as the positive. And we can do that best when we put the, the different facts in the proper perspective. So the measurements that we take, it's good to know the axes. What's the range? And, and how valid is the gap between them? And, and maybe also more importantly, is that graph measuring the right thing and representing the data effectively and correctly? It's a really interesting point. The last one that I'll mention here is he talks about the dangers of our, our native or natural human instincts. Uh, he mentions that humans are incredibly smart and, and we're highly educated as, as a society and as a people. Uh, and yet, whenever he conducted his surveys to get a feel for what people were thinking, what their worldview was of various and sundry situations and, and natural disasters and, and just the scope of things in the world today, uh, the scores were terrible. In fact, the scores were so bad, and this is what I began to allude to earlier, uh, the scores were worse than if he had taken the survey to a local zoo and had chimpanzees, or in, in essence, basically just some random guessing at answers, the scores from this selected group of highly intelligent humans was worse than random chance. What that means is that our, our worldview is actually not just random, it's actually wrong. We have not just missing data, we're building a worldview on wrong data. And it comes from our overdramatic worldview instead of a fact-based worldview. Because human nature, our instincts, when, when they're left unchecked, they tend towards drama over fact. And we turn towards the things that are dramatic. And, and we remember, our, our tendencies are to remember the negatives far more than the positives. It's just human nature. And so he's not suggesting necessarily that we change that but merely that we are aware of it. And with that self-awareness, uh, he, he's wanting us not to be embarrassed by our dramatic tendencies, but rather to take that awareness, as well as the data, to help inform a factual viewpoint so that we can control our instincts and we can replace misconceptions. It really is a fantastic read, and as I went through the book, uh, it, it was clear to me that even in my thinking, there were areas where I assumed one thing and it wasn't true in the slightest. It was almost 
wrong dogma that has been attached, baggage to my worldview as a result of uh, my upbringing and inculcated in my education and, and just everything around us. So raising awareness of that, um, I think the author does an incredible job of doing. The second book that I picked up um, this week uh, is a book entitled Measure What Matters by John Doerr. Uh, again, it's another one on the New York Times bestsellers list. Uh, as you can imagine, I, I frequent the list quite often looking for new books. Um, the subtitle of this book actually is what caught my eye. It says, How Google, uh, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rock the World with OKRs. Did you catch the subtle link in the subtitle to the first book? Yeah, the Gates Foundation. Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation is referenced in this book as well. Um, it's one of the many stories that comes out. Um, and, and another key thing is, I actually said something in that subtitle, uh, OKRs, uh, which really kind of trips a personal trigger for me. So side trail, side note really quick, sorry for this one, but got to rant just for a second. The idea of acronyms in common vernacular, uh, it really irks me because I think that in most instances, it tends to make people feel dumb because they don't know what something represents. And whenever you're communicating with someone else, your goal should never be to make them feel dumb or uneducated because all that does is puts them on their guard. It puts them immediately in a defensive state. They've shut down the listening mechanism because now they're simply trying to protect their own self-worth, their feeling of, of pride. And so by trying, by coming across diminutive in your approach through the use of an acronym that they may not be familiar with, because it's just simply not a subject area that they're well-versed in, uh, you in instantly change the dynamic of the conversation. So if you're using acronyms in your everyday speech or in your everyday writing, um, be really considerate to your audience. If it's not something that everyone knows, then I really recommend you not use it. Um, but that's okay because they talk about it extensively in the book, so let me just carry right on. That was just my quick little soapbox for a second. I apologize. What is an OKR? An OKR is an abbreviated way of saying objectives and key results. O and KR. Uh, so, so see, it wasn't even that really big of a deal. Uh, but what they mean is that objectives are simply what is to be achieved. Uh, they're concrete, they're meaningful, they're action-oriented, and sometimes they're even inspirational. Um, they're a way of fighting against the feelings, uh, which interestingly enough is something we talked about just the other day. And they, they take care of um, overly dramatic viewpoints and poor execution um, because what they do is they actually... Um, they implement something that's the second item, key results. Um, key results are the way that those objectives can be benchmarked and measured. So you've got your objectives, which are what is to be achieved, and you've got your key results, which are how we measure that objective. And so it's incredibly important um, that for a key result, it has to be something that's measurable and verifiable. Uh, it's a really key key point of the book there in the first first half of the book. OKRs. It's something that is what is to be achieved and how we measure it. And when you're measuring something, 
you have to be very, very definitive. Numbers, number oriented. Take that away. The second half of the book talks about continuous performance management. And that's a really long way of saying um, that annual performance review, that's old school. And the, the new way to do it is continuous. It's, it's all the time. And it's done through conversations, through feedback, and through recognition. And so by implementing those three items, conversations, feedback, and recognition, uh, you're able to take a continuous performance management approach. It's basically the complementary side to the first half of the book, the OKRs. Uh, so when you're putting those two together, um, you see how they relate and they deliver a complete system for measuring what matters across the objectives, across the people, across the conversations. Everything comes together and everything is easy to be defined and measured by specific metrics. And really this book uh, is a super easy read because it's jammed full of real-life case studies, uh, stories from companies that I, I guarantee you you have heard of, and more than one you're probably going to be curious or interested in how this relates to their stories and how they've implemented it. Uh, I always love books that, that give really strong example stories um, because it helps me to kind of put it into perspective. Uh, so this is a great book. And finally, the third book for this week uh, that I read, I hesitated to include because I've actually read it before. So I wasn't technically reading it this week. I more read back over my highlights. Uh, I actually haven't done that always, but most recently I've really taken to highlighting the books that I read. Uh, and this has turned out to be a fantastic way of going back and refreshing my memory on just the highlights. Um, you see what I did there? Refresh my memory on a book, hit refresh. Uh, this book was written by Satya Nadella, uh, who is the CEO for a company called Microsoft. He took over the CEO role in 2014 from Steve Ballmer. And this book is, is his thoughts, um, his journey, I guess you would say, as he goes from his life leading into the role and how he was learning to lead to ways in which he began to motivate and recognizing what was important and then finally looking into the future. Um, so I, I can't imagine really how it must have felt for him coming into this role at Microsoft, um, particularly because he came with a vision. He came with an idea that he needed to write the course and turn the ship around. It's a, to me, feels like a monumental, overwhelming challenge. Um, and as I read his story, I could, I could feel uh, a lot of the struggles that he had, but also how he was able to take those and learn from them, which led me to one of the first things that I took away from the book was he was learning to lead. Uh, he shares just incredible thoughts on leadership and on how a leader should focus on the opportunities and be listening to others and learning from the experience of others. He discusses uh, the importance of innovation and teamwork and ways in which you lead by being an empathetic leader. Uh, really appreciated his style of writing. He talks about books he's read. That always strikes a chord with me when an author references other works because it gives me more that I want to go look up and read. Um, 
The second thing that he really focuses on in the book is the idea of recognizing what's important. Um, and he talks about the, the road ahead for Microsoft and what his ideas and goals would be. Um, he mentions the importance and the power of a shared mission and a vision that would empower every person. And along the way, this journey that he wanted to instill into the employees at Microsoft of rediscovering their soul as a company. And then finally, he talks about looking ahead into the future, of what's to come for Microsoft and their culture, and what they need to do, the steps they need to take practically to accomplish that um, new vision, that mission that they have now set for themselves. In fact, he talks about um, when he went public about his ideas of the future for Microsoft and common news outlets like Bloomberg uh, we're very quick to call him on it and call him out, really, in essence, and say, uh, yeah, the words are great, you're going to have to back it up, and we're going to be watching. I can't imagine the amount of pressure that that must have felt like for him, for the company, um, to state these grand, lofty goals, which are kind of going back to their roots, and at the same time, um, really, it's a, a huge shift in the way that they had been portrayed and how they have been functioning in recent years. Um, sharing all of that with the world and being told, we'll believe it when we see it. The amount of pressure that would put, I think, would be really, really heavy. Um, one of the quotes from the book, which I'll just kind of pull out here near the end, uh, Satya says, over the years, I found that openness is the best way to get things done and to ensure all parties feel terrific about the outcome. In a world where innovation is continuous and rapid, no one has time to waste on unnecessary cycles of work and effort. Being straightforward with one another is the best way to achieve a mutually agreeable outcome in the fastest time possible. What a great takeaway. And I think what's interesting is it's really kind of crystal ballish, right? Because that was a quote that he put in a book that he wrote years ago. And it was his vision for the future. It was his vision for where they would be going. And I think that it really ties in with the news that Microsoft just made this week in their $7.5 billion acquisition of an open company. So you see, he's doing exactly what they said he needed to do to be, to, to prove to them that things were changing at Microsoft. And at least for me, as I talked about earlier in the week, it's helped me to take a moment and actually really look at Microsoft again. So if you can't tell, Microsoft's journey and the, just the story of Microsoft is that secondary um, subtle theme that carried out throughout the books that I read this week. Um, but that's not the primary one. If you remember what I said back at the beginning, the primary theme was that concept of knowing what matters. And so I'll leave you with a quote uh, that I think kind of sums up these three books and how I see them relating. The primary motif. Human emotions, feelings, and their endeavors are heavily influenced by their worldview, and only with proper facts, knowledge, and wisdom can they accomplish those things which matter most. Oh, and one last thing before I go. 
uh, just in case you're keeping track and you're thinking that's not necessarily three books that you read there since that last one was a reread. Um, I actually had started a couple others and I finished them this week as well, but didn't include them in this list because it was getting kind of long. Uh, so I also read a book called The Feather Thief, a fascinating book. In fact, it was so well written in a story format. On two separate occasions, I had to go Google it to make sure that it was actually a nonfiction and not a fiction story. Um, it goes through a, a really great backstory on the history of of um, ornithology and how um, there were collectors that went out into obscure parts of the world to collect thousands upon thousands of samples of different species of birds um, so that we could study them and so that we could identify them. And then how that turned into um, the value that was placed on the feathers of these birds for a variety of reasons, first for uh, dressing, like uh, women's hats, things like that, to um, the sport of fly fishing and the, the art of fly tying, using these rare feathers for something different, and building up to the case that these feathers were becoming valuable. So valuable, in fact, that someone would break into a um, museum to steal feathers so they could sell them. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a fascinating story that follows along in a very uh, quick, action-paced uh, environment. It starts off with the great history aspect, well-written. It ends in a modern following along the story with the author as he's tracking down detective style. Um, the, the, the story and the, the thief behind um, this, this particular heist uh, really fantastic read. Um, so that one counts as my third book, in case you're not counting um, Satya's Hit Fresh, uh, which was a bit of a reread. So, there you have it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Always Be Thinking, a podcast designed to make you think. This has been your Friday book edition. Uh, join us again next time as we dig more into communities and their differences. <laughs>